Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Heavenly Father, we know that fundamental to faith in Jesus is listening to the words of Jesus. Would you help us as we speak and would you help us as we listen to the words of Jesus this afternoon? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 The other thing that I love, apart from Arsenal, and it's alright to love things, you know. You know, the Bible says we're supposed to love God, not at the exclusion of other things, you know what I'm saying, but above all other things, right? So we can love other things, right? So one of the second things I love apart from Arsenal is bread. B-R-E-A-D Bread As We are in John chapter 6 Verse 22 to 40 And our Message today is True Hardel From heaven If you don't like that title You can You can, you can switch Hardel for bread I mean they're synonymous right True bread from heaven. I'm going to talk about my love for bread in a minute. Let's read the text. John 6, verse 22 to 44. Hopefully you're there with me. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had Gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, You are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate. Your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. 
And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing as, I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. We thank God for his word. I said that I love bread. <clears throat> I prefer brown bread as opposed to as opposed to white bread because um, I'm older and I'm wiser now. But bread is my favourite food. If you know me well, you probably might be aware of that. Whether it's French stick, croissant, or brioche, bajado. What can I say? And it's far it's far from hard. When you get the right one. You know you've got to test it before you buy it, right? <laughs> but the problem is, <clears throat> bread is not good when you're trying to lose weight, right? Because you know it's like carbs, right? <clears throat> but I can't help it. I can't stop eating it. I won't stop eating it. I lo- I lo- I- it's too nice. I love bread. My love affair with bread was at its climax back in the 80s when I used to live in Jamaica um, I used to work in my uncle's record shop and at lunchtime we used to go down to the bakery down at Charlie's right? down to the bakery opposite Charlie's we used to go in there and you could slap, you could you could smell it as you were walking in the, 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 it, it was wafting in the air and what they do is they used to have these kind of like these big baps, but it literally was hard old bread type bread, but in a kind of like a bap, like an eight inch bap, like a good size, a healthy size, right? And it would come straight out the oven, they'd slice it, you see the steam come out of it, and then they would butter it. And the butter would melt and run like a river. Right, the crevices of this bread, listen. And it was, I don't know, man, it was, it was just a wonderful experience. And how many of you know bread is, is staple, you know what I'm saying? It's one of the fundamental foods. And the point I'm trying to make is that bread is so vital. It, food is so vital because it provides us with energy to sustain life. It gives life. And it provides us with that which is essential for life. Amen? But let's remind ourselves that what we're talking about isn't natural bread. See, natural bread, natural food benefits our natural life. But there's a a different type of food that we need. How many of you know that there's physical life, but there's also a different kind of life in comparison. There's, there's a life above life, an abundant life to be experienced. And we saw in the last chapter that this is just one of the things that Jesus came to provide and is still providing in, 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 a, in a beautiful way today. In John chapter 5, which is our previous chapter, right, we saw it said in verse 26, Jesus says, For as the Father has what? Life in himself, 
so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And this is greater than a physical type of life. Verse 39, he says to those who are listening, you search the scriptures because you think that you think that in them you have eternal life. How many of you know that, that that's a life distinct from natural life? Right? That's a different kind of life. And it is, it, is, it is they, that is the scriptures, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Question. Why would someone who is already alive come to receive life? Why would someone who already has life come looking for something that he already has? The point is Jesus is talking about two different types of life. Jesus can give me, he can give you life, although you already think that you may have it. This is telling us that there is life, natural life, but then there's also a super life, a supernatural life. There's a real life, there's a true, underlying true life. That's why our message is called True Hardo. From heaven, and we're going to come back to that. This is telling us that there is life which is distinct and different from natural life. Maybe someone here might be saying, Huh? That don't make sense. It's okay, I know the feeling. You're in good company with myself, prior to becoming a Christian, and those who are here, but also good company with others in the Bible who heard, who heard Jesus say, or Jesus speak and, and they responded with a confused, huh? Jesus said, remember, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And the people turned to him and said, huh? Jesus, remember when he was with Nicodemus, he said, except a man or a woman be born again, they cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus like, huh? And this is the contrast between the natural and the spiritual. Remember Jesus in chapter 4? Who was he speaking to in chapter 4? The woman at the well. I remember. She's there drawing water, right? And Jesus turns around and says, huh? He says, listen, I will give you what type of water? Natural water. He says, I'm going to give you living water as opposed to Evian, right? And she went, huh? Today will be along the same lines as it relates to life. Spiritual as opposed to natural. And this real life, this true life as opposed to natural, physical life can only be obtained by, by, by partaking of real bread. Only be, you can only receive this kind of life from true bread, which is Jesus. Okay, so let's get some bearings. Last week, whilst out in a solitary place during the Passover, over 5,000 people are miraculous, like, like thousands of people are, are miraculously fed by Jesus, the prophet. That's how they identify him, right? And what did he give them? He gave them fish and he gave them bread. bread. We saw that. This was reminiscent of a time where God fed his traveling people in a similar quote-unquote wilderness, right, with manna. 
Jesus has already shown in chapter 5 his ability to amply provide for people's physical needs. You see that? This week, we'll see Jesus provide for people's spiritual needs. Jesus is the one who mediates God's life to us because he is God's manna. He is God's bread. Jesus is the bread of life. Look at verse 22 with me. It says, on the next day, now this is the day after Jesus fed them, right? On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there. So they realized there was one boat, right? And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone on that boat. Other boats, verse 23, from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks, right? And he broke it. So if you like, Jesus and the disciples have seemingly abandoned the crowd. The disciples have gone on a boat onto the other side of the lake. And in one of the other gospels, it talks about the fact that when they left, Jesus spoke to the people. And remember, our text last week said they wanted to make him what? King. He resisted that temptation to be made king, which one of most of us would not have, I wouldn't have. I would have failed at that test. What? You want to make me what? (laughs) He didn't. He resisted. Amen. He was like, Jesus is not like me. He resisted that temptation. And what did he go and do? Now, I'm not trying to preach last week's message, but he went to go and pray. Lest he do what? Enter into temptation. And there's a lesson there for us, isn't there? When we're confronted with temptation, Jesus ran up the mountain to go and left the people in the middle. Run up the mountain to go and pray. So there's a real lesson in that for us. They said in verse 14, you know what? This, this Jesus must be the prophet that Moses spoke about. And so it seems like for good reason, this same crowd, they're still trying to get to Jesus. They're still trying to find Jesus the next day. You see that? Verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, am I shouting? Or did they need to turn down the volume a little bit? Okay, all right, amen. So verse 24. So when the crowd, but you're standing right next to me, Missy. Um, it's probably, is it probably worse for you? Or no, it's probably worse for you if you're standing next to the speaker. Verse, what does that matter? Verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves said, you know what? Hey, They got into the boat and went to Capernaum doing what? Seeking Jesus, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Seems like a fair question. And it also may seem quite impressive, you know, saying that this crowd are still following Jesus. Especially after the terrible weather that they had had the, the day before, right? Remember the, the terrible storm? But the thing is, we look and we're like, wow, they're still following Jesus. Still chasing after Jesus. Just trying to find Jesus. Like, wow. Really impressive. But you know what? Jesus isn't impressed. Notice, Jesus doesn't respond to their question. <laughs> but what he does is he challenges the motivation for the question. It's, it's deep. Don't you hate it? Don't you hate it when the Lord does that to you? You say, 
you know what, I'm going to church today. The Lord like the Lord's the Lord's like, why? You be like, but Lord, don't you think it's a good idea? Don't you think it's a good thing for me to do? The Lord's like, I didn't say it was good or bad. I just said why. <clears throat> How about this? You know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna wear this outfit today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be matching khaki, brown and br- yeah. And the Lord's like, why? I'm gonna spend intimate time with a woman that's not my wife. Why? I'm going to spend this, someone say good question, I'm going to spend this money on that item. And remember, it's, it's not necessarily good or bad, you know. But, but the question is like, why? Why are you going to spend that money on that particular item? Like, why? So I'm saying, I don't like it when the Lord asks me these questions. How about, I'm going to give that person a piece of my mind when I see them. Really? Why? Or, you see, when I see that person, I'm not going to chat to them, I get down, I don't want to see them. Why? See, the Lord asked me them questions and I'm mash up. Because the Lord ain't so much looking at what I say or even what I do. He's looking at why. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord does what? The Lord looks at the heart. Look again at verse 25. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus is like, why? And it gets deeper because he goes on to tell them why they're coming to look for him, why they're seeking him. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, truly, truly. Now, whenever you hear the the Lord say, truly, truly, you know it's going to get deep. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. Watch, here's the motive. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus is like, you look come all the way over the lake. What? To come see me. Get out of here, man. You don't come for the grub. You come for the nosh. Notice, you came, what does he say? For what? You came, at the end of verse 26, for the loaves, you came for the bread. But the question is, what kind of bread are they here for? And the sad thing is, if you like, Jesus could say to them, you know who I am. Because you said so yesterday. You know who I am. You recognize that I'm the prophet that Moses spoke about. Yet that isn't why you're here. They didn't see what was significant. Now you're like, significant? Never heard that word. Yes, you have. It's just it's a bad pronunciation. You know what I'm saying? You know the word. You don't see what was significant. You're not focused on what's important. That to which the sign points. That which is significant. 
Regarding this crowd, we can't take it for granted that everyone mentioned before, right, are also here now, especially when we see that this conversation will end up in a synagogue by the time we get to verse 59, by the time Pastor E gets to verse 59 next week. This probably much smaller crowd has only been following Jesus because of the free food. At least before the previous group, which may include some of these, followed Jesus because of what? The miracles. There's a distinction. Which isn't always a bad thing, because sometimes we say, oh, you follow him just because of the miracles. That's a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing. It just depends on why. Remember Nicodemus. He had come to Jesus at night for the same reason. That is because of the miracles, right? Where did we see that? <coughs> Thank you, Bertram. In John chapter 3. In, <coughs> in John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And you've got to remember, like Pharisees, don't, they're not feeding Jesus. They don't normally come like looking for Jesus apart from for negative reasons. Like they'd be coming in and it's, you don't even have to ask why. Because they were blatantly, they were blatantly obvious why. But Nicodemus comes and he's a, notice he's a ruler of the Jews. He's, he's quite a substantial individual. This man came to Jesus by night, right? Maybe because he didn't want his, his brethren to see. And said to him, Rabbi, look, we know that you are a teacher from, come from God. How? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. See, Nicodemus followed Sought Jesus, found Jesus, why? Because of the signs. And it's all good, because that's the purpose of the sign. The sign's supposed to point you to Jesus. They're not always bad. And Nicodemus were going to defend Jesus when being when he was unfairly charged. Um, if you've read it before, when we get to chapter seven, you'll see Nicodemus in John, you'll see Nicodemus defend Jesus. And um, <clears throat> we'll also see Nicodemus at the end of, of John's Gospel. I'm not trying to give it away. I mean, give it away. You've got a Bible open, you can read it. Isn't it? So I'm not giving it or giving away the end of the film. I'm a, if you know me, I'm a man I don't like. It. Listen, if you see a film, don't come and tell me about the film, apart from it's good. I don't want to hear the details. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear it, right? John 19, verse 38 and 40 about Nicodemus says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, why? For fear of the Jews, he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Verse 39, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, for the right reasons, obviously, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight, so they took, both of them, took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. It's beautiful, isn't it? These two, Joseph and Nicodemus, they buried the dead body of Jesus as concerned followers because they've become disciples of Christ. And at least, Nicodem- at least for Nicodemus, it started with him being astonished by the miracles, by the signs that pointed to Jesus being the Christ. The whole point of John's book is that these signs that he particularly, specifically selects would point us to Jesus and such in a significant, a significant way. Verse 27. Do not labor 
for natural food. Do not labor, if you're looking in the Bible with me, for the food that what? Perishes. Natural food. But labor for the food that endures to eternal life. Is it a different type of food? Don't go out of your way just for physical food when spiritual food is up for grabs. When spiritual food is available. That's like coming here on a Sunday morning, right? Just because we do the big muffins from Macro. You seen them? Yeah, the ladies are laughing because you had them yesterday, didn't it? Yeah, because Heather went to and so, yeah went to go get yeah. If you're just here for that, that's you labouring for the food that perishes. See, is is that the only reason why you're here? Hopefully, it's for the meal apart from the meal, right? Just a few weeks ago in chapter 4, we heard Jesus say to his disciples, I have food that you know nothing about. They're like, huh? Right, did someone give him a sandwich? You might as well send Chris. Meal deal. Get a sandwich, packet of crisp and a drink. Don't go out of your way to labor, to work just for physical food. Obviously, that means that doesn't mean that we don't work for physical food, right? Don't go over your way just to work for food. When spiritual food is on the menu, don't just focus on the plate of grub, Jesus says to them, that you buried your face in yesterday. And this reminds me of Esau, who only thought about his physical today and not his spiritual tomorrow. YOLO. Right? YOLO. You only live once, right? That is this life. So make the most of it. No, that's a lie. People are making enough money out of it. Like the logos on t-shirts and it's a lie. There are two types, not one type of life. There are two types of life. Therefore, it stands to reason that there are two types of food. Verse 27. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. You know, his seal, the Father's seal, or the signs that he does, the Old Testament prophecies that regard and reference him. You're not saying it's like a stamp of approval. It's like, you know, is that gold, your ring? I'm not sure. Prove it. Be like, all right then. And you think, man, I wonder if it is gold. I've never ever checked to see if it's got a... Oh, there it is. There's the hallmark. It's real gold. The seal, God has set his, the Father has set his seal of approval on Jesus. Jesus points out that there are two types of food. There are, if he's the man that God has identified, we need to listen to him. Jesus is pointing out here that physical food is for the physical part of us, which is necessary, but not the most important. Man shall not live by bread alone. Spiritual food, on the other hand, is for the spiritual part of us, inevitably the most important of the two parts of us. You lot are putting in a lot of work following me around. And all, check and, and, and notice, and all for the wrong reasons. You must have a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of energy to waste. The point is, don't waste your time, effort, and energy. Don't work. 
after this fashion because this kind of work don't work. This kind of work doesn't please God. Now they begin to get it. Verse 28. Then they said to him, Oh, so what must we do to be doing the works of God? Okay, well that's a better question than the one that you asked back in verse 25. Notice now the shift of emphasis. Before we were talking about the object, which is life. Now we're talking about the process of appropriating it, work. How do you appropriate, how do you obtain life? Now we are, we're talking about the process of appropriating it. And it's, and it's obviously not physical life. We've heard that. Right? I mean, you're here. And most of you have physical life. You know, some of you look a bit lifeless. <laughs> Maybe that's my fault. How do we as sinful humans, because notice we're humans, right? It's a level playing field. It's not old and young, rich or poor. Black or white. Don't matter if you're... Doesn't matter. We're all on a level playing field as humans. We're all sinful. How do we appropriate, how do we acquire that type of life? True life. Verse 29. Jesus answered them in response to their question. This is the work of God. That you what? That you believe in him... Whom he has sent. Jesus would be like, you guys are halfway there. You recognize the signs that point to me being the prophet. Well, listen carefully to, to, to what the prophet is saying then, isn't it? What good is a prophet if you don't listen to what he says? Jesus says, believe in me. Put your unequivocal trust in me. Remember last week, Psalm 2, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Faith is the key that appropriates God's gift of life. Romans chapter 3. Lest we mistake, oh, well you've got to work for physical food. We've got to then work for spiritual food, spiritual life even. But the working thing actually don't work, as we mentioned. Romans 3, verse 21 through 23. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Apart from your ability to work for it. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through what? Through faith. Through faith in who? Jesus Christ for all who what? Believe. For there is no distinction. (laughs) For every single one of us, every single person, past, present and future, for all have sinned and fall short. Of the glory of God. Have have, have fallen short of God's perfect standard. There's no person 
that can put their hand up and say, have you not sinned? Everyone keeps their hand down. No, everyone puts their hand up. Nobody can keep their hand down. Because all, because all of sin, all of, of broken God's law and the way to be right with God, the way to become righteous is not now to try to keep the law. Because even if today I say, wow, let me just start keeping the law and, and I keep it perfectly until the day that I die, externally and internally. Hey, how about all the laws that I broke before now? I mean, a righteous judge will say, wait a minute, it's good that you're, gonna, you're, ref- you're reforming. It's good, you know, that the penitentiary, you know what I'm saying, that the penal system has, had, has taken its effect and you've changed your mind. But how about all the sins that you've, how about all the laws you've broken previously? Who's going to account for that? Who's going to pay the penalty for that? Can't just let you go free. That's like the man in the dock says, who says, the judge says, you're guilty, you know. And he's like, I know. Look, look, here's the evidence stacked. You know what I'm saying? I murdered that person. But the man turns around and says, Judge, maybe give me a little mercy. Judge says, Sorry? He says, You know what, Judge? I never ever told a lie in my life, you know. Judge says, Really? Wow. Because you kept that law, then that should. Hmm, somehow that don't. What? You want me to let you go because you kept one. But you, what about the ones you've broken? It don't work. But you see, righteousness or being made right with reference to not just our current sins or even our future sins, but our past sins. The only solution is by believing in Christ, is by putting your trust in him. Because Galatians 2 says, wait a minute, if you think you can be made right before God by keeping the law, it says, what on earth did Jesus come and die for? And I'm saying... Yeah, let me not try and quote the whole verse because I'll end up getting somewhere else. John chapter 1 verse 12 echoes Romans 3. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The just or the righteous shall live, not by works, but by what? By faith. I spoke to two JW, two Jehovah's Witnesses yesterday who wanted to convince me otherwise. They were trying to tell me, no, 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 no. It's not just faith. It's not solo fide. You know what I'm saying? They were like, works are involved. And they begin to give me and tell me all of the works. And, and I said, and I said, I said, Why? And then I said, I'll tell you why. Well, let me tell you why. Because they don't believe that Jesus is who he said he is. One of them is coming back to visit me. And you know, I know that they don't believe that John 1.1 1, 1 in our Bibles is right. They believe their version is right. And I mean, I'm not going to go to John 1.1, 1, 1, even though it's, it's murder, really. It should have done the argument, right? But they're not having it. I'm not going to go to First John 5, 7 at the New King James. King James, right? There's, there's only one God. How's it go? There are three that bear record, three that bear witness in heaven. Harry. There are three that bear record. She's got a sword. Wow. 
They're free to bear record in heaven. The Father, the, the, the Word it says, and the Spirit. And these three are one. That's the King James rendering. Um, it's possibly, probably not in the original text. You know what I'm saying? But maybe edited in there by the early church fathers and so on. Um, there's a big... I think Bertram actually talked to us a little bit about that a couple of weeks ago. You can go back and listen to his message. Like I say, he was talking about... Um, Textual criticism and variance in scripture. Very good message. Go back and listen to that. And I'm saying, um, I see I'm doing it again. But I'm not going to talk to them about first, uh, John 1 1 and John, uh, 1 John 5 7. I'm going to talk, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crack John chapter 5. And I'm saying, where it talks about all of the witnesses that bear reference to who Jesus is. And I'm going to ask him, have a look at that. I'm going to say, does that not prove that? That Jesus is God. And when they say no, I say why? And John chapter 6. Especially when we, when we come to the humdinger in a minute, right? <clears throat> See, every religion, because that's what it is. That's what I'm saying. Um, the Watchtower, track Society, Jehovah's Witnesses. Every religion suffers from the same fundamental problem. It's like, you know, it's easy to become a Muslim. Because it's inclined to our natural proclivity. Because it's based on works. And I'm saying that their works come in five clear categories. That's why people find it so easy to engage with. Because they can say, look, I know why I am. Look at what I do. What I am is completely distinct from you. And I mean, makes it really easy to engage with. And why do you think those five, those five categories are called, what are they called? Why are they called the five pillars? Well... Five pillars of Islam, because they're the five pillars upon which you stand. And it's down to you to build a solid structure. And even then, when you think your structure is solid, Allah, on the day of judgment, can still send you to, to Gehenna. Can still send you to Hades, still send you to hell. Uh, and I can't even pronounce that. Inshallah. That's like, if, God's, if God wills, right? Still, there's still no security, you know what I'm saying? And in every way, it's essentially a man-made religion. It's invented by man, and as a spiritual system, it's supported by the strength of man. You don't need God in Islam. God needs you. If you think carefully about that religion. In Islam, there's no such thing as a saviour. There's no such thing as a rescuer from sin. I mean, the biggest, the, the most important person, apart from Allah, is Muhammad. And Muhammad is a confessed sinner. How is he going to help you with regard to your biggest issue? With regard to my biggest issue, my sin? See, there's no saviour, so you, you have to find one for yourself. <laughs> you have to find one in yourself. You boil down every religion, when you get down to the dregs, you save yourself by your own works. And that's why religion hates Christianity. Because Christianity says you can't save yourself out here. And that's why people need to hear the gospel, which is good news to someone who says, I can't save myself. It's good news for sinful humans because it answers our deepest problem. 
And especially when you humbly accept that you can't save yourself and you feel that sense of hopelessness and in your despondency and in your desperation, someone says, lift up your eyes. Wow, is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Jesus. It's Superman to the rescue. Amen? Amen. I heard someone give a really good illustration about trying to save yourself by your own works. It really gets to the heart of our of our tendency to justify ourselves. This man, he owns a, a material factory and he's got one of these massive looms, you know, like, you know, with the shackles that run back and forth so quickly and they weave and they make like a scarf. You know what I'm saying? Lines and lines going back and forth. And this woman's working in this factory. And one of them floor managers says to her, listen, you're working on this loom. He said, it's very important if a problem arises that you call me immediately. There's nothing that you can do. You know what I'm saying? Trust me, this is a very complicated piece of machinery. There's nothing you can do. If there's a problem, you need to call me. Do you get that? She's like, yeah, that's the best thing you can do is call me. He leaves. She's working at the loom. Week, two weeks in, and she's really getting the, like, the hang of this loom. And she sets it up, and the shuttles are getting back and forth, and she walks away and comes back with a cup of tea and it's doing its thing and it's all good and then all of a sudden there's a little bit of a problem and one of the sh- one of the shuttles gets, gets stuck and she looks at it and she thinks it's just a little problem it's just a little minor I can fix that sticks her hand in tracks to fi- fix it another shut hits her hand cuts her hand s- sends another one of the shuttles spinning and all of a sudden the material is getting caught up and trapped and caught up and trapped and she's like oh my gosh and then she tries to fix it further and she makes the problem worse. Tutus, the machine stops. Smoke coming out the machine. Big old expensive piece of machinery. Here comes the manager. And he's like, oh my, he's like, he's like, what happened? And she says, there was a problem there. It was just a little problem. And I'm saying, I thought I could fix it. And he said, he said, he said didn't you hear what I said? I said, if there's a problem, you call me. The best thing you can do is call me. And she says, well, what do you mean? She says, I'm I'm trying my best out here. And there it is. We want to say to God, God, you don't appreciate what I'm doing. I'm trying my best. And you don't want to accept that. And God, just like the manager, the manager turns around and says, listen, That's your best? No, that's not your best. The best thing you could have done was do what I told you to do. That's the best thing you could do. We cannot save ourselves. We need to come to that point where we just say, I can't do this. It's completely and unequivocally, absolutely out of my ability to save myself. God, would you save me? Would you rescue me? Verse 30. So in response, they said to him, like the woman at the weavers, then what sign?
sign do you do? That we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? You see, our fathers, they ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. These people are saying to Jesus, you can't compare to Moses. Moses gave our forefathers food for 40 years. I mean, come on now. You had one good day, Jesus. Yesterday. That don't compare to 40 years. Like, what are you saying? When it comes to... You're not on Moses' levels. You prove to us that you are and then we might give you five more minutes. The writer of Hebrews says the opposite. He says Moses can't compare to Jesus. Hebrews 3, verse 3 says, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Now, oh my gosh, this, this deserves some excavation, but we don't have time. But I would, I would encourage you to give that verse some thought. Whether it's Moses, Hebrew says, whether it's the angels, whether it's Aaron, high, like high priest, Jesus the great high priest, whether it's, I'm saying the angels, come on, you can't compare Jesus, which, to which of the angels did God ever say at any time, none of that, like sit at my right hand, none of them. So Jesus can't be an angel. It's like, compare Jesus to the physical temple. Look at the great and glorious temple. You get lit down. Not even one stone upon another. Right? Only the only thing that's left now, you say, oh, well, how about the wailing wall? The wailing wall is an exterior wall. It's not even a part of the temple that's still standing in Jerusalem. Jesus is the new temple. That's, when he's, that's, why he, that's why when Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up again. He wasn't talking about the physical building. John, the narrator, says he was talking about the temple, his body. Jesus is the new temple. The temple is where you went to meet with God. We don't go to a temple. We don't come to a building to meet with God. We go to Jesus. Because he's the new temple. Hebrews goes on to talk about an old covenant. It was great. But there's a new one. And it can't compare to the old. The new is better. See, none of it, none of it, raise it as an issue. None of it compares to Jesus. He's better on every level. In a minute, we're going to see that Jesus is actually God. How are you going to compare anything to God? Can you see how short-sighted these people are suggesting that Moses is greater than Jesus? See, Jewish people revere Moses, even to this day, as if everything has its source in Moses. Look at verse 32. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, look. It was not Moses. Stop bigging up Moses. No, Moses deserves ratings, but don't please don't compare him to me. You know what I'm saying? I said, it was not Moses who gave you that the bread from heaven. But my father gives you what? True hard dough from heaven. My father gives... Maybe Pastor E will call next week's um, bread from heaven part two. I don't know. My father gives you the true bread from heaven, sorry, bro. I'm not trying to put words into your into your mouth or put ideas into your brain. 
It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Notice verse 33, for the bread of God is what? Is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. True bread as compared to physical bread. And that's where we get our tr- the true in our title. And, and most of the translations use that word true. And you can, re- can skip or you can read over it. True bread as compared to physical bread. Spiritual bread as compared to physical bread. There are a few references to true that relate to this same pattern. Listen to Luke 16. I wanted to keep it all in John. The rest are in John, but this one from Luke was too good to miss. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth. Another translation says unrighteous mammon. What's it talking about? Money. Money, right? Physical money. Then if you're not faithful with that, who will entrust you with what? True riches. Can you see the the, the natural versus the spiritual comparison? John chapter 1 verse 9. I'm going to leave them on the same screen so you can see that. John 1 verse 9. The true light. Wait a minute. So does that mean that there ain't no light? Of course there is. There's loads of natural light. But the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. And that was the Lord Jesus. John chapter 15 verse 1. Getting ahead of ourselves. Jesus says, I am the true. What what does that mean? Is that the only type of vine there is? No. No. There's a grapevine, but that's a natural vine. But Jesus is a spiritual vine. And then, can you see that the word true as a prefix, it identifies the object as spiritual compared to that which is natural. One more. John 6, 55. Oh my gosh. Wow. Parson. Yeah. Yeah. This is for next week. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. Evidently, he's not speaking literally. He's speaking spiritually. Can you see that? True. Can you see the pattern in marriage as it relates to this word true? True hado. True bread. Spiritual food. It's like, it's like, it's like a superfood. It's a supernatural food. And how you eat it it's not with a knife and fork or around a, lit- a literal table with plates, cups and saucers. Your heart is the cutlery. Listening, listening as you are now is like chewing. I think some call it meditating. I see someone say medi- meditating. It's like chewing. Believing is synonymous with eating. See, you eat with your heart as opposed to your mouth. And Jesus uses this other phrase now, apart from the one we just talked about. He uses another phrase in verse 33. He's actually going to use it, he's going to use it seven times in this chapter. Sorry, he's going to use it seven times in this book and he uses it twice in our text. And it's this issue of He says, I am he who does what? I am he who comes down from heaven. Seven times he says it in his chapter. I am he who comes down from heaven. See, Jesus is like the manna in the wilderness that came down from heaven. 
But he's so much better than manna. Verse 34. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I don't know if it's because they never got it yet. He said, I am the bread of life. You want it? It's me. And that's where we hear the first I am statement in John's gospel. There are a few more of them and we'll look at them as, as time progresses. I am, he says, the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever comes to the spiritual table will not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Just give you something to hang that I am verse on real briefly. Because it's going to come up sometime. I'm just going to, I'm just going to read it and then we'll move on. <clears throat> well, read it one, one comment. Exodus 3 verse 13 to 15. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel, because remember God's going to lead the people through Moses. Moses. Moses is struggling, right? Moses said to God, if I, come to, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, why? Not why. What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses. Who said to Moses? God. Who said to Moses? God. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me, that is Moses, to you, the people. Just tell them that. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, he's making it clear, right? The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God, no, is the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So when you get a few thousand, few thousand years down the road, don't forget my name. Who am I? I'm God. I'm the Lord. Look. So many times, about seven times. The very God that spoke to Moses is the I am. If, if Jesus, wait a minute, Jesus is saying I am. If Jesus is the I am, who does that make Jesus? Can you see that Jesus is much greater than Moses? Again, coming to, coming to, to Jesus, believing in Jesus is synonymous with eating. We'll see more about this also next week. Now, all that the Father gives to Jesus will be kept. Wow. Again, because of time and the fact that this is going to come up, I'm going to just touch this. Yeah. So please don't feel like, oh, Pastor Rob, man, you never really kind of went in. You know what I mean? One, the time is against us. And, and two, this is going to come up. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And it's this issue of election. Now, Jesus says, all that the Father gives him will be kept. All that the Father gives him. So there's something about Jesus keeping those who are his and those who are his are given to him by the Father. There's something very, very mysterious about those that God elects versus those that are not elected. 
And one, I'm, I'm, I'm not smart enough to explain it. I've already told her, I ain't got time to, to really go into it, but I will say this. I heard an illustration that was just as helpful as the last one I gave you. Hopefully the last one was, was helpful. I'm going to give you another one. There are certain things that we will read in our Bibles that we may not necessarily be able to understand or even explain, but we can't deny that they're there. The text is clear. How many of you know, as humans, we're the highest species of God's creation, right? But then there are others, there are other animals, right? One of them is a dog. Now, you cannot compare the understanding or the ability to understand of a dog to that of a human. Is that true? You can say to a dog, fetch, fetch the newspaper. The dog can go. You can teach it to understand what, that's, what you say and it can go and it can get the paper and it can bring the paper to you, right? Fetch, it can do that. But can you teach the dog to read the paper? It's just, it's, it's just outside of the categories that the dog functions in and is familiar with. It's impossible for the dog to fully understand and grasp that. And I would suggest that the, the doctrine of election, you know what I'm saying, there are parts of it that we can, you know what I'm saying, like a dog, the dog can look at the newspaper. You know what I mean? And there, it's, like the, it's, like the tri, it's like the triunity of God. There are certain things that we cannot fully grasp and get our, the, the arms of our mind around in a complete and total sense. I'm not saying that we're dogs. But I am saying that we are absolutely lower than God in our understanding and our appreciation. And there's just some things that we, we just cannot understand in a full and complete and total sense. Well, let me sit down and let me explain it to you. Jesus says, some will be cast away. There, there are going to be some that he has, and they're his. And no one can pluck them out of his hands, we're going to hear a little bit later. But then there are those that will be cast away. There, 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 are, there are those that will be driven away, says certain translations. Jesus says, Any, now I cannot explain how the Father chooses. I'm saying, and at the same time, we choose. Did you choose to accept Christ? Did you choose to repent of your sins? Did you choose, you know what I'm saying, to, to be committed to his body, the church, and be here in the fashion that you are? Of course you did. No one ever, quote unquote, made you do it. You're doing it because you choose to. I'm doing it because I choose to. But at the same time, mysteriously, God has chosen that we do this. And I can't, I can't fully explain the two. But they're true. And Jesus says, you know what, if you do come, anybody who believes in Jesus will never be cast out, will never be rejected, will, be, will never be driven away. And that should be comforting. Because there's those times where we, where we, where we feel like, you know what, I don't even need nobody to, 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 to lose me. I can lose myself out here quite easily. Left to myself? Oh my gosh. I'm glad that he's got me. Aren't you glad that he's got you? Even though you know on a daily basis you struggle and you sin and you're, you're, you're wicked and you're bad mind. 
He's good. Isn't it a wonder that he's got you, that he's got me? And it's not because of me, and it's not because of you, it's not because of our works or anything that we've done, it's because of his son. And the fact that we've put our trust in him, the fact that we've believed in him. Verse 38, for notice, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing at all that he has given me. Now, I've, I've, we've been looking at Jesus' credentials. I, we, we're only in chapter 6. And I'm already convinced, hey, Jesus, you're heavy. You're like, hey. All of these credentials, like so many of them, you know what, I'm convinced that when, when, when you say you, you got those that are his, you got them. You, when you say you got those that are yours, you got them. No dispute in my mind. And he says he will raise them up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and what? Believes in him. Everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And Jesus says, I will raise him or her up on the last day. Notice, everyone who looks on the son. That's synonymous with those who believe. Remember in John 3? John 3, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and then what did the people do? Because they were bitten by serpents, by snakes. They were poisoned. They were diseased with something. They looked at the serpent on the rod and they were healed. You and me were diseased with sin. No one can't correct it. There's no, there's no cure. There's no medicine we can take. What we need to do is we need to look at Jesus lifted up on the cross. So much, so must the Son of Man be lifted up like that serpent in the wilderness. And whoever believes on him, whoever looks to him, may have eternal life. You've got to be living to look, but it's not physical life. We're talking about a different kind of life, a spiritual kind of life. Can you see that looking on the sun is synonymous with believing, synonymous with having faith and trusting? You're looking at it, trust it. I'm looking at this thing because I've been told if I look at you, wow, I'll be healed. I'll be changed. I'll be transformed. Relying on the sun. John chapter 20, our last verse. This is the end of John's book. And we'll conclude with this. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in my account. They're not written in this book. You can't find them in John. And you probably can't find them in the other Gospels neither. You know, 92% of John is original. It's not found in any of the other Gospels. But he says, you know what? I've left out a lot. But what I've left in, verse 31, these that are written, are written so that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God. And that by believing, not by working, by believing, you may have life in his name. Shall we pray? Can I invite the guys to come and join me? Wow, Heavenly Father. Even 25 years, 26 years after hearing this message about Jesus being the saviour, being the rescuer. 
which was such good news to me when I realized for the first time in my life that I was a sinner who was condemned. And it's the condemned part that shocked me, that rocked me. I knew that I was a sinner. I didn't, any, I didn't need anybody to tell me I was a sinner. My conscience told me that. My conscience screamed that at me for 22 years of my life. And I didn't respond to it because I didn't have an answer. I didn't have an answer to, I'm guilty. And then to find out that the penalty of of my sin, my guilt didn't just stop with me feeling bad or me hurting others in the way that I did. My guilt went to the point where there was gonna be a penalty to pay for my actions. Father, that that rocked me. I was like in my seat, silently screaming, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account, not just for one or two, but for every sin that I've committed. What am I going to do? And that was the bad news, and the good news came just as quickly as the bad news shocked me to my core the good news came and said that there's someone who's paid the penalty for my sins there's someone there's someone who's paid the penalty for the sins that I've committed my willful disobedience in my arrogance against God there's someone who's paid the penalty for, for those sins and it's the very God who made me the very God who made me stepped out of heaven, stepped out of his spiritual home, which is more real than my natural home. This natural three-dimensional world that I see and I live in and I taste and I touch. It's more real than this world. He stepped out of a world that this world came out of. So it must be more real. He stepped out of real reality and came into this world as a human. His name is Jesus. Father, we've been seeing as we've been going through the six chapters in John just who Jesus is and how he relates to us, even us sinners. And that is the rescuer, he's the savior, he's our superman. Come to save us like Lois Lane, standing up there, weak, feeble, bawling. Come to come to save us. So, Father, I just I just want to thank you. Thank you that in understanding this, your desire is your word, your your command to us is not that we do good things and we begin to trust in those things to save us, to rescue us, but that we would look to the Savior, that we would look to Jesus, standing there effortlessly, not even breaking a sweat with his cape fluttering in the breeze. Easily is able to save us. How can we escape if we neglect such a great rescue package? Father, thank you. I thank you that all we need to do is to believe in him. Because when we believe in him, then we will turn away from us. How are we going to continue to walk in our sinfulness? How are we going to continue to clutch? 
that which will crush us eventually? How are we going to continue to enjoy that sin that we know that we know nailed Christ to the cross, that horrible, brutal cross where he bled horribly, horrifically? How are we going to continue in that? We're not going to continue in that sin. That what grace would abound, that we could take your goodness for granted. Lord, no. Help us, Father, to see that that faith in Jesus is the currency that provides us with. It's the key that unlocks all of your grace, all of your forgiveness, all of your mercy, all of your love comes in wave after wave after cleansing wave into our lives and we just want to say thank you. Help us to continue to trust in Christ. Lord help us I pray. How are we going to pray in any, is there any other name that we could pray in? Is there anyone else is there there any other basis upon which we could come to you Father apart from Jesus it's in his name we pray. find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.